That joke isn't funny anymore. Available on Amazon and everywhere. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Perez, and I'm very happy to be joined by my next guest. His name is Malcolm Clark. He's a TV science documentary producer, and he also has a substack that you should check out, Malcolm Richard Clark. So he went with the three, uh, with the three names there. So Malcolm, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. Um, it's been, um, uh, it's been fun, uh, getting to know you on the, over the process of, of actually getting you, um, on this official recording, something that Good. we did and I've, something that we did. And I, I've done, I've done it before, uh, is we had a, like sort of a pre-chat, um, sort of to, I, th- I guess to, uh, to feel each other out or more on your end yep. to, 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 to feel out this guy. He's like, who's this, you know, this some weird, wild extremist. Yeah. Wild extremist from the States, you know, coming in uh, uh, yeah. and, and wanting to, wanting to talk to him. But um, it seems like in your line of work that uh, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good precaution uh, to take. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wh- whenever we're doing interviews, obviously you do, I mean, you, the last thing you want to do is turn up, at someone's house and interview them and then discover that they're going to say something really cranky. So um, and the, the downside is, of course, that you can sometimes talk so much that, that then you don't want to say the same stories again with the same freshness. Mm-hmm. But hopefully I won't sound bored by my own points. No, I mean, I, I think the the stuff that you cover is just so out there to begin with uh that uh, i think i think a lot of the, the stuff that we were talking about it i think it, it needs like a second or third telling just to yeah. just to just to really sink in but you know something that that i've been uh uh thinking about recently is um i i i've read a few books by the uh doctor oliver sacks who's uh, oh, yeah. who's no longer uh with us and yeah. here here we had a um a uh, i believe a neurologist uh who uh, so he not only treated patients, but also had this career in pop culture by writing books about these really interesting cases about people with, uh, you know, brain, uh, you know, brain yeah. abnormalities um, and and all of that. And one of the stories that I'm uh, rereading is the one with the, the man who mistook his wife for a hat, for a hat. Yeah. For a hat. And, uh, yeah. as, as a comedian, I'm looking at it as, uh, you know, how can I, I might be able to use this material, you know, the idea of, I wonder how, you know, how often that excuse worked on his wife. Like, <laughs> like, no, honey, I'm sorry. I have this, you know, weird brain thing. That's why I, yeah. I forget all of, uh, all of this stuff, all the things that you could mistake your wife for. Yeah, exactly. Usually, exactly. isn't it? Usually, I mistook another woman for my wife. Isn't that the normal excuse? That that's ob- that's obviously going to be the next step uh, in the <laughs> uh, comedic progression uh, yeah. progression there. But um, you know, I bring that up because um, I I think a, lo- a lot of the stuff that you've been talking about has to do with you know psychology and psych you know yeah. psychiatry and that sort of thing. So maybe uh, I don't know where you want to open up, uh, start off. Yeah, I suppose. I, always, I mean, it's worth starting. How did I get into this whole strange debate about people being born in the wrong body? Yeah. <clears throat> and I suppose um, I think what's beginning to happen is even in America, but certainly over here in Britain, is that a lot of people are beginning to realize that this movement, this gender identity movement, which presented itself as a social justice movement, um, they've now looked at it again and realized that actually there's a lot of 
mental health conditions that are smuggled in under this um, rubric of social justice. And and I think people are beginning to look at it more carefully and beginning to see um, pathologies, if you like. And, and obviously, nobody wants to suggest that everybody who considers themselves transgender or non-binary is pathological. But um, I do think that we've lost sight of the fact that the notion of being born in the wrong body is fundamentally a mental health condition. I mean, it's not that far from mistaking your wife for a hat. I mean, 20 years ago, even, maybe less, if you told people you thought you were in somebody else's body or somebody else was inside your body, you'd immediately hear the music, you know, from the twilight zone. You'd mm-hmm. think, uh-oh, something creepy here. But somehow, after 20 years of all being told that this is actually just some um, quite common condition and these people who think they're born in the wrong body are all to be pitied and, and, their, and their rights aren't acknowledged and we have to change the whole of society to fit around this tiny minority... I think we're all beginning to realize, no, no, wait, wait a minute, let's let's put the brakes on here, let's reconsider, let's look at the history, which is what I've been doing over the last two years, is looking at the history, where it all comes from, how it evolved, and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, and with that, with that history, where where did it start? Where where did it, you know, come yeah. from? Because I mean, it, it's fairly yeah. it, it's a fairly new thing, it's it seems like. Well. I mean, I think in the, believe it or not, in the 19th century, um, a lot of, not a lot, a a few key figures, um, one in Germany, one in England, um, were trying to work out um, what homosexuality might be. And they came up with these kind of weird ideas that there might be a third sex or a third gender. And they thought that sort of effeminate guys and very masculine women were somehow maybe, you know, a third sex. But we're talking about a culture in the 19th century, which was so, um, you know, sort of um, enforced such rigid stereotypes of what it was to be a man or a woman. So even if a woman wanted to, to not ride a horse side saddle, that was considered, oh, that might be very, that might, that's very masculine. I mean, if, if a woman expressed her opinion, that was considered masculine. Wit. Um, yeah, wit was a masculine thing, too. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> and so that was a very different world. Those ideas started, uh, were then taken up in Germany in the 1920s by a guy, Magnus Hirschfeld, who was a very famous sexologist, probably the first big sexologist who happened to be Jewish. And so the Nazis, when they came to power, absolutely hated him. Um, And I think that helped give his clinic and the work that he did a sort of aura of being progressive because the Nazis hated him. Mm. But actually, uh, once you look at his work, it was full of some of this ridiculous ideas, which we are now, you know, sort of dominating our culture about this idea, he had the idea of a gender spectrum, and there was like five hundred different bits in the gender spectrum. Um, he he was himself a eugenicist. He believed that anyone who was homosexual should not reproduce, um, even though he was himself gay. But more to the point, he was he was the guy who really pioneered um, 
sex change surgery or what we would now are forced to call gender affirmation um, healthcare or whatever that means. Uh, but basically sex change operations. He was the first guy to, to work with surgeons to try to, to, it was only at that stage, men into women. And the first uh, two operations that he um, organized, one of them was a slightly um, simple um, guy who was convinced that he was a woman and they did it. And that was the very first time that some a guy had um, had what's called a vaginoplasty and they created a, vagi- a neo-vagina for Dora Richter, as he changed his name to. But the other, the other person who came, I think, second was the person that was the subject of the movie uh, The Danish Girl. And this was a Danish uh, actor, uh, artist, Danish artist, um, who became convinced that he was really a woman. Um, but he was very mentally unstable. And, and he published a diary, or, or his diary was published after his death. And, I mean, it's not often read now. I managed to get myself a copy. I think it's called Man to Woman. And this 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 guy was nuts. I mean, he believed that he menstruated through his nose. Um, and this proved. And his nosebleeds were one of his proofs that he was a woman. Um there you go. Don't have a nosebleed. <laughs> Otherwise, you, you might find yourself getting gender I've, I've, reassignment. Yeah. I've, I've always felt a little bit more feminine every time, you know, someone punched me in the nose. And, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so he, he had the operation. Um, Hirschfeld organized it. <clears throat> the, 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 the surgeon, both the first uh, case, Dora Richter, and then um, uh, Lil, Lily Elba, as she he became known, um, the second case, um, the, the operation was done by Erwin Gorbrand, who who would then become a prominent Nazi um, and would run. Um, Hitler was obsessed with, or the Nazis were obsessed with sterilizing the disabled because they wanted to keep their you know, race pure by getting rid of everybody who was disabled. You know, I mean, we now we do consider it, you know, a huge war crime. Um, but the person who ran that in Berlin was the person who did the first vaginoplasties. Um, and so this idea that, you know, that the transgender movement, if you like, has is entirely progressive or even has progressive roots is, is absolute nonsense. You go back there and it's a mixture of crackpot ideas, experimental and dangerous surgery, and some deeply unattractive views politically and socially. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, looking at that, the, the time period, it, it's almost like um, you know we're coming out of a of a time of you know more um, farming and that sort of thing and industrialization and freeing up you know people are finally getting like free time to to read mm-hmm. to pursue education and uh, and all that and I wonder if is there an element to that where I'm I'm, I'm not just saying like man man we have a lot of free time that's why people are thinking that they're that <laughs> I mean, not the right sex yeah. yeah you know. Um, but it, it I, I don't know. I think it, it might well have been that a lot of the a lot of the the thing that we forget is that right up until the 1920s, a male and female behavior was so heavily policed. I mean, women didn't have the vote um, mm-hmm. in most countries. They didn't have rights. Um, men, you know, you had, there were very strict rules about how men behaved. And I, I think 
perhaps the policing of gender roles was so pathologically, you know, fixed that it, it created its own nuttiness as a reaction. If you were, if you did not fit into a very macho stereotype or or very feminine stereotype, then I think you you would have a lot of problems and you were quite troubled and 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 now looking back it's hard to imagine what the solution would have been but it the, the transsexual answer wasn't the right one mm-hmm. and and at that time too like you know the early you know 1900s what you're talking about you know talking about like crackpot theories i mean that's the time of you know phrenology um yes. and uh you know, you brought up uh, sterilization. There, there was a uh, a TV series uh, called The Nick, and it was about the Knickerbocker Hospital, which I think was like the first hospital in New York City. And there's uh, uh, a, a, there's a, a part of it, uh, not not necessarily a, a storyline, but you have these orphaned boys who have come over, you know, on the boat from wherever, and yeah. they they make one of their first visits to the doctor and the doctor is performing vasectomies. And of course the boys don't know what's going on, but the viewer, we know what, what's uh-huh. going on. And that was, I guess at that time is a norm here. You have these, you know, yeah. these street, uh, street kids, you gotta, you know, basically, you know, uh, sterilize them. So they, so they don't go on. So, so you have like a lot of these, you know, crackpot theories and sort of looking, turning to, um, science as like a way of fixing this stuff so even the idea even the idea of like the first person to make that leap and say you know what um we can turn that penis into a vagina you know just even like it's like we can we can fix what nature got wrong here well there was a huge i mean it was only around about i think 1910 maybe maybe slightly earlier when really hormones had just really become available properly. You could you could synthesize and you could make what we call the male, you know male male hormones, female hormones. That's not really a, a very accurate description of them, but testosterone and estrogen. And so scientists felt suddenly they had all this power where they could give guys testosterone or they could give women estrogen and vice versa. Um, and I suppose whenever some huge new breakthrough happens scientists think they're on the cusp of you know complete power the you know the power of god and you'd really get the sense and of course the the sex change surgery depended on you first of all having um cross sex hormones for a period um and and there was a real sense that that they that doctors now had the power to do things that they hadn't done before um i know that uh, i mean I, the difference is that, I mean, we have a much more scientifically, believe it or not, a much more scientifically literate public than there, than there was at the turn of the century or right up until World War II. And, and there weren't a lot of questions made of, of, of claims. And so various crackpot doctors, one of whom Hirschfeld worked with, uh, Eugen Steinach, um, he developed this very similar to the vasectomy. Um, He he did vasectomies, but he also implanted little tiny bits of um, testicle gland. Don't ask me how he got the testicle gland. And and one of the things I read, it was donated. And I thought, who donates their testicles? (laughs) Leave that in my will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
and and but it became a huge thing and various figures um freud uh, wanted it uh, einstein got it i mean all these people wanted this little bit of because steinach argued that it would give you would boost your energy make you feel younger and and improve your libido so surprise surprise hundreds of men queued up to uh to uh, to get the steinach there's absolutely no evidence that what in fact it, it could not have worked but but you know there wasn't a sort of critical um public or or journalists that were able to to really push up against all these quack cures and and the transsexual thing is in a way just another of these quack cures for a problem um but it's it's taken root and hasn't really been challenged properly with, with the the testicular gland is that uh, how was it taken? Was it like a like a, it was it, as I understand it was <clears throat> the tiny little tiny sliver of gland that was put under the skin, un- and apparently you see, it would then it would then um, you know infuse its sort of you know hormones through your body. But but <laughs> we know that that doesn't work. It couldn't possibly work. But they didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just looking back to when I was a kid playing. Uh, you know playing ice hockey uh and you know we me and my teammates would fuck around you know after a game or hotels and stuff and you know the idea like like someone's asleep and you put your balls on their head and like somehow you know maybe they're there if you if we went back to the 1920s maybe there's a quack doctor who's like yeah if you have a night of sleep with testicles on your <laughs> on your forehead well, you know we it, was, it was as likely to work Right. Yeah. It sounds like it might be more fun than getting a gland inserted in your skin. Yeah, a lot funnier too. <laughs> uh, for if you, you know, at least doing it for, you know, uh, doing it for the laughs. Um, yeah, yeah. That that that's uh, that's that's so wild. On the you know on the surgery. Uh, yeah. Uh, on the surgery tip too, something that I've been that I've been thinking about, uh, in particular, and, and this is you know thanks to Twitter, I've been I guess uh, confronted with a lot more images of. Um, double uh, mastectomies or top surgery yeah. on <clears throat> yeah. young, young girls who identify as yeah. males and the surgery itself it 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 looks so violent and it's almost yeah. it it looks primitive like the the scarring that that it, that it leaves behind it's very hard to, to look at so so there's that element that i'm confronted with but then i'm also confronted with you know why is it that we just can't normalize these trans men having breasts like like say it's okay you could have breasts or you're a trans woman it's okay you can keep your you know your balls your bollocks you keep them and you know keep your unit and and live your life there the the idea that you need to get rid of these uh these bodily parts in order to fit into whatever category you are that that's something that i'm I'm, i have a tough time it's a difficult one because you don't i mean some of these girls do want to remove their breasts. And, you know, especially in America, um, it's less so over here because we have a national health service. And so everything has to go through a filter of, of you know, of cash strapped hospitals. Right, who, right. But in, the, in America, you know, it's a culture where anybody who wants to do something should be enabled to do it. Um, and I think that's one problem where we forget that our choices, the choices that people make are sometimes deeply, obviously deeply influenced by the culture around us, peer pressure, social media. 
and and they think they're taking a decision that is the authentic their decision. They're not factoring in that these other pressures are, are sort of impacting them. But I mean, maybe there will always be some. There may be a tiny minority of girls who would rather not have breasts. Um, the problem is once you normalize it. And once you start what the transgender movement did is start to talk about it as liberating and being your authentic self and then celebrating it online. Oh, my God, I've had my breast removed. Well, I mean, that inevitably will affect loads of vulnerable girls who have other comorbidities or other psychological problems. You know, we we know we've always known that, that loads of girls going through puberty you know, cut themselves, have anorexia, bulimia, lots of body issues. And I think the biggest, the big question is, you know, why do girls go through that? Because boys don't tend to go through it the same. And it may well be that if you're an adolescent girl, you know, I don't think we, we prepare adolescent girls enough for the you know, stress and the, the changes of puberty. You know, it's not such a big change for a guy to get a bit hairier and a bit greasier and, and you know, start filling out. It's a huge difference for a girl. I mean, periods. Right. Um, their, their, their nose bleeds every, yes, uh, every month. Yes. Like the Welcome Danish to Lily Elba anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's an enor- enormous change for a girl. And then, of course, you have male attention suddenly, mm. and so you know, and you, and it can be quite, quite fierce. And if you are the sort of girl, not necessarily lesbian, but maybe just not that into, you know, some girls love the attention. You know, hey, I'm an adult. A lot of girls don't, and 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 so that creates psychological issues. And then the trans movement comes along, drops in front of these girls. An ideal solution, you know, all of that, all of that horrible, all that horrible feeling, all that stuff, and probably your periods and your breath, you know, we're going to get rid of all that. And you're going to feel the way you did before you went through puberty. Well, I mean, no wonder a lot of girls are grabbing onto it. Yeah. And uh, opting out of all that, I mean, sexual harassment, if you like, um, that if they're lesbian, then they don't really have to address the, the lesbianism because, you know, there's still out there vestiges of, of homophobia. And, and so a lot of these lesbian girls or bisexual girls or whatever, they don't want to be bisexual or lesbian. But if they are trans, then they're not. They're just boys mm-hmm. and they fancy girls and they're straight. Well, no, you, you're a biological female and you're attracted to other biological females you're homosexual, but so it's, it's not all of these girls, but a large proportion, who knows, maybe half of them or whatever, are sort of opting out of, they've already got the physical discomfort of going through puberty, but they're also opting out of any psychological difficulty by not identifying as homosexual. Yeah, it's super, super complicated. I uh, Recently, I, I tweeted, I said, the best thing I ever went through in life is puberty. Um, and you know, Me we're, too. I, I, you know, as awkward as it was like, my God, thank, thank goodness. I, I went through it. Cause it, uh, and, and, you know, it, you know, to be a, a, a guy talking about, I mean, you know, the, the, the sexual gratification of, you know, 
self uh, self harm um you know is it was you know the highlight of my of my life definitely in the in the early days it's been downhill ever since has it yeah, yeah it's just not the <laughs> just not the same but uh so yeah sometimes i still feel like a like a, a, a horny teenager sometimes if i'm fortunate enough but um <laughs> You know, like with that, I, you know, you know, because what we are talking about, you know, younger, you know, younger people going through yeah. this, the, the idea of, you know, puberty blockers to begin with, um, yeah. it's, it's so batshit crazy. And I, I think, I think you guys in, in uh, the UK and also in Europe have done, it seems like a better job of halting that, uh, Whereas in the United States, I, I still see people uh, pushing it. The idea of like, oh, yeah, you, we're, we're just going to stop kids from having puberty yeah. um, and everything will be OK. And then they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I I was particularly drawn to the the, the stuff about puberty blockers because I, I did a development for a show. And it, it didn't in the end come off. But, uh, but you know, as a science um, documentary maker, I did a lot of research around about 10 years ago and it was uh, it was going to be about adolescence because there's so much has been discovered really only very recently i mean comparatively recently probably in the last 10 12 maybe 15 years um they started doing um brain scans like the proper fmri scans of the teenage brain and they were amazed because mm. everybody just thought that the brain got slightly bigger and bigger as you, you know, or more, more neurons as you, as you, uh, not bigger physically, but more neurons as you got older. When they started doing the scans, they were like, what the shit is going on here? Because um, it's a, it's a whole new process, which has been, has been described as the most radical transformation of your brain that you'll go through in your, in your life. Basically, um, it re it's all rewired, and so neural connections they're they're, they're cut, they're added. the The myelin layer, which is a sort of white layer around the brain, um, it's radically transformed. And they suddenly realized that duh, they now it, it explains so much of of adolescent behavior. I mean, we all know it's you know we all know that. They sleep at funny times. They behave in a really shy, sort of self-conscious way. Um, they're they're sort of really they, they're really keen to 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 bond with their 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 peers. You know, they really care what their peers think of them. It's basically a whole bunch of different things. They don't want to be with mum and dad anymore. Right. Get off all that stuff. These are all uh, behavior patterns that are almost universal in adolescence in every. Um, uh, species every species every country um and and they suddenly realized it was all to do with this pruning that goes on in the brain um now the reason that matters is all the work that was done on puberty blockers was done in the early 90s before they did these fmri scans and so they never considered the impact on brain development they kind of knew that if you block the puberty then secondary sex characteristics, i.e. breasts, um, hair in guys, the genitals in, in kids, they wouldn't develop because you're stopping the puberty. They didn't give a second thought to the brain development. Mm. And if your brain is being radically rewired, 
causing huge changes in the way that you socialize as a as a teenager and you stop that then it is very hard to imagine that you know and, and most of these kids never you know don't go off the puberty blockers and have a normal puberty they go straight to cross sex hormones but even if you did stop the puberty blockers after 3 or 4 years you have missed the opportunity as a teenager to do all the bonding and the socializing and hanging with your peers that you would have done as you go through puberty um and so what you end up with is you end up with these very isolated kids who are often already a little bit um autistic or on the spectrum you stop their puberty which would at least have you know maybe a lot of them driven them to bond with their you know friends um and they become even more isolated they become even more uncertain and they become even more vulnerable have um so have they been following you know that these kids uh for you know the past you know decade or or more like uh, well, the, check, well, checking in on them and you know, that's the ridiculous thing is of course that the Tavistock, which is the big gender identity clinic for kids, the gender identity development service um, in London, which is now about to be closed because the the signs that we're doing was so bad. They didn't do that when they did their puberty uh, blocker trial. They didn't do any follow up, um, and in most places they they don't do proper follow up, and and it's now because it's argued by the trans movement that you have to give them these blockers, otherwise they might commit suicide. No one, no one will agree to do, I mean, what we should have done 20 years ago, if you were going to, you know, be interested in introducing puberty blockers would have been to do two groups of people, two groups of similarly gendered dysphoric kids. Some get puberty blockers, some don't. And let's see what happens. You know, now the other side, the trans lobby says you can't do that because we know they're so life-saving that it would be unethical not to give them to a group of kids. Mm. So there is no no way to run these trials now. Uh, but no, the, the simple answer, the, the, the follow-up was terrible. I mean, other people have now gone back to the few cases that there was some follow-up and and they've gone back and they've tried to, you know, locate kids who had the, the puberty blockers among the first group in Holland, the, the very first trial trial, um, what they tended to do is they would give the puberty blockers and then they'd look 12 months later uh, or maybe two years later. They didn't normally do any more follow-up than that. But some of the, there was like a really good paper, which if you can get online by Michael Biggs, which uh, a British um professor of sociology, and he went back to all the Dutch protocol work, all the original science that justified puberty blockers. And he discovered that the, the follow-up questions were so absurd that they were designed to make them feel, to make it look like a success. And so one of the questions was um, to trans uh, boys, i.e. basically to girls. Girls, they would ask them before they took the um, the puberty blockers, how gender dysphoric they were about their female genitals or their breasts. And then they would give them the puberty blockers and then they would come back and they would say, how 
gender dysphoric are you about your breasts? But they don't have breasts anymore. Right. And, they, and, they, and you know, they, they, they weren't, they didn't feel they were female. So what, so you were asking the question up in such a way that you were bound to get a positive answer. These kids were now being told that they were male and you were asking them about their female genitals. Well, they don't think they're female anymore. So, so it was that sort of strangely biased questioning that Biggs explores in his paper. It's really a brilliant paper. I mean, at the end of the paper, you think, oh, my God, these poor kids. I mean, there are definitely really troubled kids who are really screwed up about their bodies and the gender that they are. Um, the question is, you know, it, it's a bit of a, a bit like, a, you know, a huge hammer to to break a nut you know there may be other ways to solve this or there may not be any way to solve it but this idea that you you stop their puberty and then you put them on cross-sex hormones and then you drive them towards surgery so far there's no real convincing evidence that that is the best way to try to solve those problems yeah um you know one of the things that that we we talked about a, a little bit was um jazz jazz jennings yes um, yeah, yeah and uh you know r- reality tv star i guess i guess that's yeah. how you would uh, describe yeah. jazz um and what there's quite a bit that's shocking about jazz jennings uh one i i i, I can't believe that this show was ma- was made um but jazz seems to be an example of uh this thing that people say doesn't happen happened it's happening so they you hear a lot of people say well no no, they don't do that on like young young kids they don't put them on you know puberty blockers and all that and then you have an example of this young kid who's went on puberty blockers under underwent you know this uh surgery and where i i don't know following uh him or her you know you know for years and years and on, on their life uh w- yeah what what do you make of that of that that show and well, what's going the on problem there. was that i mean barbara walters who was a you know a well-known um journalist um tv presenter presented this show in 2003 no 2007 2007 and she went along she saw the family and she didn't ask any question that a normal person would ask of these parents and this kid. So this kid says, oh, yeah, I I think I'm a girl, but maybe the parents are encouraging her to think this. Her, I'm saying her. He, he, encouraging jazz to think this. Um, Maybe the culture's encouraging. Maybe there's another reason why jazz is thinking this, but no, it was just bought wholesale by Barbara Walters. And in fact, at the beginning of of the show, um, Barbara Walters starts by saying something like, you know, gender dominates our lives. Girls like dresses and pink, boys like blue and truck, truck um, trucks. And you're like, well, okay, well, if you're gonna, if that's how you're gonna define boys and girls, then you're gonna find some boys and girls that don't fit that. There are boys, not necessarily ones that grow up to be gay, but any that don't like trucks. And, yeah. and there are boys that don't like playing sport and and prefer music. And there are girls that want to climb trees and kick balls. And 
So it was a really strange way to begin the show. And, and then in the end, surprise, surprise, the evidence that Jazz is a girl is all about the fact that his bedroom is full of frilly things, um, presumably chosen by him, but maybe chosen by his mum. Um, and he likes dolls and he likes long hair. He doesn't, you know, he likes, a lot is made about the fact that he likes long hair. Right. But I mean, how does that prove that this is this is not a boy? I mean, there's nothing, you know, boys have long hair in different cultures and short hair in others. And, and you know, in some cultures, guys have beards and other ones they don't. I mean, it's just right. like this is ludicrous to, to, to take a cultural norm and say that that defines whether this child is a boy or a girl. I mean, I, I found a very interesting little snippet of a video um, actually presented by Jazz. Um, there was an exhibition at the Smithsonian that was celebrating girlhood. And for some reason, of course, they thought that it would be a really good idea to have Jazz Jennings, who's a boy, a male, celebrate girlhood. But in that video um, made by the Smithsonian, there's a little snippet of Jazz when he was seven, I think, maybe six or seven. And there he introduces himself and says, hi, I'm Jaron, which is Jazz's original name, Jaron, and then starts talking. And then he looks up and he's obviously being corrected and says, you can call me Jazz. But the point is, this is two years after his parents said, that he transitioned socially, and then he, you know, he, and he was really, really upset if you referred to him as as he or used his own name. And there he is using it. And there he is happily using his own name, but then feel you see him look up, and I think it's really revealing that there, you know, I, I think maybe the the boy was you know all over the place and and thought he was a girl, um, but most parents would either just go along with it for a little while. And just slowly but surely talk him out of it, see where it went. But no, Jeanette Jennings went straight to the diagnostic sort of manual of mental health, DSM, and she's on the record. She said, I diagnosed him myself, and then I went to find people who would confirm the diagnosis. This is an ordinary mum from South Florida. How does she get to diagnose her kid and come up with the the belief that he is she. Wow! The uh, last night I was a, a guest on a on a podcast um, called uh, the Bathhouse with uh, Danny Polischuk, and um, it's a he brings together like a bunch of comedians. It's like a call in show. Yeah. And before we were hanging out in the green room, uh, which is actually where the, the it's recorded. It's in the green room of the the stand, the the uh, uh, comedy club in New York. And uh, beforehand. I forget how it came up. I think we were talking. Uh, someone brought up uh, Sean Connery, and oh, yeah. uh, and uh, uh, which, I believe your countryman, uh, Sean Connery, big hero over here. Yeah, and I and I and I asked the guy, "Oh, did you ever, have you ever seen the interview he did with Barbara Walters, where Barbara Walters oh, asks him about about you know slapping women, uh, slapping yeah. women, and." Yeah. You know, anybody, you could find the clip on YouTube uh, and it's worth watching on its own. It's sort of a real shocking. Yeah, it's quite shocking, a relic of its time. But you bring up Barbara Walters and I'm thinking like, oh, my God, she pushed back so hard against Connery for, you know, if a woman needs a slap, I'll give it to her, you know. But but yet 
uh, with the you know with this child. He famously, Barbara Walters managed to get an interview with Gaddafi, uh-huh. and one of her questions, surrounded by his people, was, "Mr. Gaddafi, why does everyone think you're mad?" Which is, which is like brilliant. And yet she goes to the South Florida house and she just buys into all this kooky nonsense. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah you almost yeah. you almost wonder like what they maybe maybe it was an age thing, maybe she was a little, you know, uh into her, you know, her later years. I don't I don't know, but it's um Yeah, maybe it was at the moment where I mean, you know what it's like? The media and I I you know, I'm not criticizing the mainstream media or whatever. The the media is a hungry beast and it needs something new. You know, and 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 a reason, you know, you must watch 2020 tonight. We have got something new. And so it's it's this beast that wants to come up with the latest thing. And so maybe, you know, it would have undermined the latest thing if Barbara yeah. Walters had gone in there and, and actually showed that this kid was being misled or that this kid was just confused or that maybe this kid would just grow out of it. But but instead, she went along with, in 2020, to their shame, went along with this notion, and, and they allowed the mother. The mother said, you know, I, I think Barbara Walters, one question that was at all probing was, you know, some people will think, you know, that you're harming your child or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and Jeanette Jennings said, better to have, what was it, that famous phrase? Better to have a, a you know, living daughter than a dead son yeah. said, well if you're gonna if that's you could justify anything then you yeah. know if that if, if you say i don't do this my child is going to die you know the fact is suicide in children is many minuscule i mean absolutely minuscule the idea that hundreds of children are committing suicide because you don't let them put a dress on is just a complete load of of BS, you know, it's just ridiculous. But it was accepted that somehow, you know, Jeanette Jennings was saving Jazz's life by putting him on this sort of medical pathway. Yeah, it, um, you know, I I have two kids and, um, you know, I'm- How old are they? uh, uh, Oldest is three, and then the youngest is going to be two. Um, And what's what's funny is one day, (laughs) One day, the oldest just out of the out of the blue. We we'd been watching the Smurfs, the uh, you know cartoon series, and uh, rapid fire one after the other. My son said, "I'm baby daddy, I am baby Gargamel, and I'm a baby girl." And like one one after the other, and I was and in my you know with the subject matter and in, in the zeitgeist, I was just thinking like, oh, I hope he chooses a cheaper version, <laughs> choose the cheaper one, you know. <laughs> baby girl, that's going to cost us. Baby daddy, that's going to cost us too. Um, be Gargamel from uh, you know from, yeah. from the first, but well, I'm not. I so many friends, you know. The reason I was asking the age was, you know, you say to them, "How old are they?" And they say 12, 13, 14. and you think. Oh God! Yeah, because you know it's a wave going through schools and everywhere else, you know, and and you've got parents who are just like, "Oh great, it's okay." She's just non-binary, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, who cares if they can call themselves whatever they want, as yeah. long as it's not something that that suggests that they might want to do anything medical, then people are relieved. Yeah, and and I wonder too, you know, I. Uh, I, I uh, a brother of mine has knows somebody 
who uh whose kid i guess you know early on uh they started identifying as as the opposite sex and the parents went along with it could be that the the mom is kind of into it you know and um not that uncommon yeah yeah and and um my brother and I, we checked in, you know, not too long ago. And I had asked like, Oh, how's that going? Cause it's been like a few years. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he was telling me that, you know, he feels they haven't talked in a while. Um, and it might be like better off because yeah. the awkwardness of, you know, were he to ask how things are going and say, Oh yeah, they're on, they're on, on, you know, this hormone or that yeah. hormone. Yeah. So it's like the line of, uh, you know, what constitutes abuse because if if like for example if i knew that somebody was molesting their child or doing something like that i mean it would be a no-brainer of of how you handle that it's you know you call the authorities or you know worst case you you know you step up and you know to protect this child and now you have this other element that that looks a lot like abuse looks a lot like harm but yet it's it's sort of uh it's it's okay you know, yeah. well, I mean, because the thing is, if if there wasn't this whole movement and this whole sort of culture which validates it, if somebody just told you, yeah, I've decided to give my child this really powerful drug, which will, you know, really change their body and, you know, and will affect their development, you'd think, what, what fucking nutcase is doing this? And you would, you would, but you can't because this is a whole culture that is encouraging, validating. And these, uh, the vast majority of these parents think they are doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it much more difficult. Um, there are, though, you know, I think it's called, it's, I think the, the joke name is Transhausen by proxy. So, you know, I look mm. at a riff on Munchausen. There are a surprising number of parents who really buy into this, who who, who seem delighted that they've got such an interesting child, one that is transgender. I'll be able to talk about that with the other parents. And you think, well, you know, honestly, you just have a boring child. Right. You, right. <laughs> you know, not boring, but, you know, not, not one that has some spe- – it's the same way, you know, when, when, when there were loads of kids who had AD- – oh, they're still now. Kids have either got ADHD, they've got, they're on the spectrum, they've got dyslexia, dyspraxia, I mean – no kid is allowed to have, you know, to, to be to have no medical condition, because that would make them just normal. And yeah. and everybody, you know, these so many of these parents want to be able to, and it's that sort of, you know, savior mentality where they are. I'm doing so much to help my child because of its dyspraxia, dyslexia, ADHD, and all the rest of it. When Surely, loads of kids had all of these things, you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, and people just go on with it. Yeah, we didn't have, and I don't know if in America there's maybe more money to be made out of this. I mean, doctors just diagnosing and pharmaceutical products to be bought for these kids that you know. Well, we, yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I mean, shy. We just used to call kids shy, right? Right. Well, shit. I wish my kids were shy. I got two, <laughs> I got two animals who they don't, they, they do not stop moving. The younger one is like, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a bad mofo. He, he loves to wrestle and fight and all that. So, you know, in our situation hey. where I'm like, I, I could understand where I'm like, can I, is there any way I could just make them sleep? 
and make them just quiet <laughs> down, calm down. So I wonder too, yeah. like if there's an element of that, like you see, like people, yes. like parents who see normal child behavior yeah. and they're yeah. wild and they need, they need to expend energy and it's an annoyance to the parent. And they're like, how can we handle this? Let's, yeah. let's diagnose, you know, the, our, our child with something and then give him a pill that's going to slow him down for our needs. Um, which is, you know, a, a, a pretty, uh, a, a pretty scary thing. One thing I wanted to, I wanted to bring up because um, I had, I, I had found you on, on Twitter uh, uh, and everybody should, uh, should, should check out, uh, check out your stuff. Um, you. Twister film, Twister film. Right. Twister film. And uh, you, you had like these really interesting threads on, you know, interesting uh, subject matter. And it's the kind of stuff where, you know, people will, you know, shower you with, not much love, but, but more hate. And something something that I found recently is like the worst thing that you could do on Twitter is to defend J.K. Rowling. Rowling, yeah. um, and I did that the one day. And what I noticed was there was uh, basically my my stance is I like, know J.K. Rowling isn't transphobic and uh, and you know kind of get over it. And what I found really interesting is that the amount of hate from either trans people or trans allies that was directed at me. And one of the things that they pointed out is they said how big my, my, my forehead was and that I was balding, like my, my, my receding hairline. And what's so funny is like, out of all the things that I'm, that I'm like most sensitive about, <laughs> it's not, it's not my receding hairline at all. Um, so it's, yeah. it's oh, so I, I quite often people will say, and you're bald. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I, I, and your point is, I mean, yeah. who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, I don't, I don't give a shit. And then what I found just so, so interesting is like, here I, I am being, um, my physical appearance is a target for, by, by people who have like actual body dysmorphia or gender dysmorphia, like people who, who yeah. literally hate them, like the body that they're in, are coming at me making fun of my hairline. And I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" It's uh, so I've, I've I've had fun uh, in that yeah, yeah. in that way. So, um, but I do, I do think you know it's fun. I mean, it's funny how things come back in different forms. Like you know, the misogyny that that somebody like J.K. Rowling gets. This is supposed to be a movement, you know, that calls itself progressive, and they say things that no, you know, old fashioned, you know. A brawling, you know, thug misogynist would say from 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, that that's right. I don't even know where they dream it up. I mean, it's so like visceral, you know, like you know, I wouldn't say all the stuff, but it's all about sucking dicks and fucking you over and all that. And you think well, that that is really revealing that's yeah. that, that this movement that thinks it's progressive and you know and saintly has a lot of strange forces that have, have sort of been sort of diverted into it. A lot of, a lot of female dick energy. Uh, that, yeah. That, yeah. That somehow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some, it's, well, I think they call it lady dick, don't they? La much lady dick, polite, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's just the old type of dick with a bit of lipstick on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so uh, how, how has been, um, you know, working in the, you know, documentary uh genre uh in for you been like are, are you do you have any projects in the, in the works or well know. i'm doing i am doing a documentary about puberty blockers which is good okay. um, can't see who it's for um and that's good and 
I think I think there's going to be quite a lot of work. Something's you know you can tell the culture is changing at the moment. It's quite tribal, but two or three years ago it wasn't even tribal. It was just one voice and a few people trying desperately, like J.K. Rowling, to 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 push against it. Over here, it's a big shift. I think now the research is being done. I think there's going to be a real hunger to work out where did all this come from, what motivated it, what the, the science is and isn't. Um, and so I think there'll be quite a lot of shows being made. Barbara Walters is unfortunately not any longer around. It would have been great to get Barbara Walters to go back and ask the questions that she should have asked. But uh, hey, now, hey, how? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And is there, uh, you know, uh, you know, anything uh, in particular, you know, that that you think like everyone should check out, um, you know, either on this subject or, you know, science in in, in general? Like, did you? Did yeah, well, you... I mean, there are some really yeah. good books. I mean, I think, you know, Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage is a fantastic book. Uh, Helen Joyce's book. Um, she's a British writer. Um, it's called Trans. Um, really, really good. It sketches some of this out, um, and, and but also talks about women in sport. And, and it's really, it's, uh, it's. I mean, I think the biggest threat from all of this movement has been to women, and therefore, it. It. I think it's almost exclusively women who are writing the books because they really get it. Um, Kathleen Stock has written a really good book. Name will come back to me. Material Girls, Material Girls. And that's really good because she's a philosopher and she really examines the way in which these, because it's so so much of the of this sort of um, enforcement is done by language. You know, we oh, have yeah. to use the pronouns. But she does this brilliant bit where she, she goes to different um, universities in um, in England where... They've all bought into the different gender identities, like demisexual and aromantic. Um, but you know, the thing about this movement is it, it doesn't even—it's never ever, never even coherent or consistent. So she looks right. at the different definitions used by the different universities. That, you know, like dem, demigender is where you can sort of you you one of your genders is fixed, but the other one isn't, and it moves around. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is she, So she has great fun looking at these different definitions and how they contradict each other. Yeah. Um, so I think those those three um, spring to mind. I'll, afterwards, I'll think, damn, I should have remembered that other one. But that, those are those are great introductions. Yeah, earlier this year, um, I was at a, a conference uh, called uh, Freedom Fest in uh, it was in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, next year is going to be in Las Vegas, and I was on a panel. Um, and uh, one of the one of the women on the panel is a, a, a black American lesbian who is very much, uh, I guess you would call it gender critical, uh, yeah. you know, about you know this stuff. And it was so much fun getting to talk to her, you know, on the panel and 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 say like, you know, oh, don't you know, like the new thing that you need to accept as a woman is the term bonus hole. Like, don't you know that, that you as a woman need to accept that bonus hole. Like for me, it, it bonus hole means like, it's like a, something like a douchey guy would say to refer to a woman's yeah. asshole. And it's like, yeah, yeah. but now this is a term of respect that, that this, that this woman yeah. who's in a relationship with another woman for her whole life, she's been a lesbian. They have like a, a kid and all that. You have to bow down and accept this uh, this crass, disgusting, uh, yeah. uh, 
yeah 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 so it's it, it's it's amazing on the, on the language uh on, on the language side for sure um cool well uh malcolm uh thank you so much uh for for joining My pleasure today. and uh just so everybody um you can check out malcolm's uh substack malcolm richard clark and then check him out on twitter twister film all right love it to talk <laughs>